Hey everybody, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm a part of the core community at CMYK. We're a bunch of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. I've been part of CMYK for a few years now, and I absolutely love how it's affected my life. It's changed how I approach spirituality. Um, It's just so refreshing. I love it. But before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do at CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love what CMYK is up to and want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and to give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. And with that, let's jump into this week's talk. Uh, as many of you know, we're in the midst of this series entitled Our Favorite Stories. And we're spending a few weeks, starting out 2020, just talking about uh, these passages, these scriptures, these texts that many of us grew up with, potentially, if you grew up in any sort of church environment. And maybe if you didn't, these are stories that maybe you've heard of before. But more than just nice Bible story time, what we want to do is we want to pick out our favorite stories that still have significance and resonance for us here today in 2020 and and to be able to talk about why these are some of our favorite stories. And today I want to talk about a story that comes to us from the book of Exodus. If you don't know much about the scriptures, that's totally fine. But the book of Exodus deals with the story of the nation of Israel going from being a group of people that are enslaved by the Egyptians... They're slaves to Pharaoh, finding freedom, and then pointing themselves towards this thing out of slavery that they call the promised land. They would use this language. They would say it's a land flowing with milk and honey, which is what every land wants, right? And so they're in this process. They're in this place. And the book of Exodus tells of that story from we are slaves. This is our identity. It had been their identity for hundreds and hundreds of years that that's where they were found. And then they find freedom. And in that freedom, they start to move towards and find this path towards the promised land. Now, the thing with Exodus and the first few books around Exodus don't just deal with the fact that like, oh, and then they took a left turn and then a right turn and then at the camel, they went, you know, that's not that. It's a story about 40 years in the desert, a path and a journey that they find themselves not immediately in this promised land, but it's a journey that takes 40 years. They call it land in the wilderness, land in the desert. It's not quite yet where they want to be. They left something they didn't like. They're not quite yet where they want to be, this land in between. And in Exodus chapter 16, this incredibly interesting thing happens. We'll pick it up there. It says this, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Moses and Aaron are the two significant leaders of these people. It says, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, I've been a leader for a lot of years of my life, uh, and I've made a lot of mistakes as a leader, and I've had a lot of people confront me about leadership decisions, choices I've made as an employer, an employee having a conversation with me about things that I've done poorly. I've never had this kind of conversation. Oh, that I never would have worked for you, and I would have just stayed where I was, because you are trying to kill me. That's an intense conversation on a leadership level. 
But this is a conversation that's being had. Now, obviously, what's happening here? The people are found in the wilderness and in the desert, and they don't have food. They're starving. So obviously, there's grumbling, because if we were in the same place, we would look at our leadership, and we would say, what's the deal? Where's our food? But what I find so significant and so fascinating about this moment and this story is here they are in this land in between. They're not yet quite to the promised land. And the response to what they're experiencing, the response to the problem that they have is, okay, this is our wish and this is our desire, that we would go back to where we came from. Which is crazy to me to think, if you've ever you know, processed this. They are saying, essentially here, we would rather be slaves. We would rather go back to the thing that there was so much effort, so much energy, so much story behind what it took to see these people freed. And they're saying, we would rather go back to what happened before all of that and be slaves and be miserable as slaves than experience the thing that we're experiencing now. Now, now, for me, growing up and hearing this story, there's a, there's a tendency to kind of look at the people of Israel and be like, man, what a bunch of babies. What a bunch of whiners. Like, so you miss snack time. Calm down. You're going to be okay. But the more that I've spent around this story and this idea and concept, the more fascinated I am by what's happening here. Because the reality of what's taking place is they have left something that was not desirable. That was not anything that they wanted for their life. Yes, but it was known. It was understood. They felt like they had a sense of control, a grasp on how things were going to be. Even though they weren't good, they could just, they could still point out and say, well, we know this is coming and we know this is coming and I hate it, but I know this is going to be a part of my life. And now they find themselves in the wilderness, in this land in between where things are not yet the way that they want them to be. And it's unknown. We're not quite sure how this is going to go. Is, it, is, is this going to fall apart? Is this the end of us? And as bad as it was back there, we would rather be in a place where we know and understand what to expect than be in a place of unknowing. For me, all of a sudden, it starts to make sense. Because how many of us have made choices when it comes to our professional life and our career that we just believe this is going to be the best choice for my life. And so we leave potentially where we were to go find something better and new. And it's in that land in between where we're not quite yet to what the new thing is. The reason that we left And we start to wonder, man, should should I have ever left? We start to ask ourselves the question, okay, there's a reason I left there. There's a reason I'm not there anymore, but, but, but should I go back? How many of us have found ourselves in a place in relationships where we potentially leave or see a transition or change in relationships, and we're in this land in between? We have not yet found the thing that we want, and we find ourselves just longing for the thing that we left. But we just begin to believe and convince ourselves well, it'd be better for me to be back there because that's known, that's understood. And I wake up day after day after day, and I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. Many of us in this room have experienced when it comes to belief. We grew up with a certain set of beliefs, ideas, and ways to process and think about the world. And there comes a point, potentially, for some of us where we go, yeah. I think there's a a more beautiful way. I think there's a better way. And so we begin to wander and work to find what is this better way. And we find ourselves in this wilderness land in between. And we start to ask ourselves the question, okay, should I just go back? I know there's brokenness. I know it's not perfect. 
But maybe it's just better to just go back to believing the way that I used to believe because that's known. I feel like I have control over that compared to this, and this is all unknown. Or how many of us have experienced it when it comes to just the basic concept of being honest? We step into this place of, okay, I know that I'm in some ways living a lie. I know that I'm not being honest and candid with myself or the people around me. And so I'm going to take this step and go through this journey and go through this process of leaving a place that I know I don't want to be to step into the wilderness of being seen, known, and embraced for who I really am and what's really going on. And so we begin to step into that and we find ourselves in this land in between. We don't yet quite feel embraced and known and seen for who we really are because we're discovering that ourselves potentially because we're just being honest for the first time. And we come to this place where we start to go, Maybe I, maybe I should just kind of hide and pretend again. I just go back. Just go back. I know it's the thing that I left, but just go back. See, the wilderness this is so much more for me than the Israelites just needed a snack and they were grumpy. But this is a tendency for all of us where we're in this space of the wilderness and our propensity and desire to go back to what is known, even if it's not good, to go back to what is known rather than continue to experience the unknown. But here's where this story gets really interesting for me. So immediately after this moment, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. We'll talk about that in a second. Keep going. It says, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Now, if you've heard this story before, or you've been around the scriptures before, you know that this thing is called manna that's found on the ground in the morning. Now, here's what I find really fascinating. Manna is a little tra- literal translation of this word manhu, which is a Hebrew word that means, what is it? So the thing that they find every single morning is a thing that they still never had a name for. They just continue to call, what is it? We don't know what this is, but we are invited to be a part of whatever this is. So it goes on from there. It says, And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omar, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. Next slide. It says, but when they measured it with an omar, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Everyone had enough. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Next slide. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Next slide. Oh, no, go back. Sorry. I didn't know that that was the next slide. My my wife is doing slides tonight because she thinks she can do a better job than me. She probably is. Let's just be honest. Here's what I find fascinating about this story. The invitation is, okay, you find yourself in the wilderness where things are not the way that you want them to be. Okay. 
And to understand, to recognize, to raise our hands and just say, yeah, we all have the propensity to just want to go back because it's known and we feel like we can control it. And the invitation of this story for me is there is something that's going to happen. And this thing that's going to happen, it's not going to be able to be described. It's going to be like a what is it kind of thing. And the thing is going to be found on the ground every single morning. Now, that might sound like this weird random story. Matt, how does that help? Or how does that a part of my relationships? How does that help? How is that a part of my career or what's happening with me personally, with my beliefs, those kinds of things? And I get that. But for me, the more that I lean into this story and the more that I work to understand the attitude and the undercurrent of what's taking place here, this thing begins to truly come alive for me. Because to experience time and time in my, again in my life, whether it's career, whether it's relationship, whether it's my belief system, whether it's the work of being honest, this moment like the Israelites where I'm in the wilderness and I don't know what's going to happen. And if I'm honest, I would desire to do anything to just get out of this unknowing. I will pull any levers. I will say anything. I will run however far I need to run. But I need to just get out of this state of unknowing. And here's the story. There's an invitation not to run back. And it's not even to just, well, just power through. But it's an invitation to say there's something, something happening day after day after day. And you're not going to be able to, to define it clearly. You're not going to always have a word for it. It's going to be a what is it kind of thing. But it's found on the ground every day. To be somebody that wakes up and rather than desiring to just pull levers and try to get back to the known, to be in this place where I can breathe deep and just say, okay, there's something on the ground today and I don't want to miss it. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a couple things for me. Next slide. First and foremost, I believe that this story invites presence over escape. When we're in a place of unknowing, we're not quite sure how things are going to go or where things are really at. We love the idea of escape. It's why, it's why Egypt, even though they were slaves, sounds so fascinating. It's why that relationship, it's why just going back to what was sounds so fascinating. How many of us have experienced this, even when it comes to something like eating poorly? <laughs> that there's moments and days where, I'll just speak for myself, okay? This is just me. I know it's just me, okay? There's moments and days where I'm depressed and I'm not okay because I'm in this place of unknowing. And I want to fix it. And so the thing that I know to do is I know that I can eat all of this ice cream and all of these chips that the house contains. And I know, I know that it's not going to make me feel good. In fact, I have spent day after day after day, I'm sitting there eating going, I'm not going to feel good. This is not going to go well, but I'm doing it. Why? Because I'm working to escape that unknowing to find myself in a place of control. At least I'm controlling this feeling and emotion. At least I'm controlling this aspect. Yeah, I'm going to feel bad. And I feel like my feet are back on some solid ground. The number of days that I spend in the midst of unknowing, and I just work to escape out of it. Whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, whether it's a screen in front of me, whether it's a story that I find fascinating that is not actually helping me engage the world around me. It's just allowing me to escape the world around me. Whatever it is, I know in a state of unknowing, 
I can escape. And this story is to say, hey, there's something better, and that's just simply presence over escape. Just be present and don't miss out on what's on the ground around you. I find it incredibly fascinating that Jesus talks about the same concept and idea in Matthew. He says this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value, of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, who is one of the richest kings ever in their uh, custom and lore, says even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these flowers. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Next slide. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's Jesus doing? Is he not inviting the same thing that the story of manna, what is it, is? There's something around you. Stay centered, stay focused, stay present with whatever is on the ground around you. It's presence over escape. And to be somebody that is able to breathe deep and understand, I mean, for some of us, the, the, the like, nature connection is huge. And this idea of just be present with whatever's on the ground, as Jesus pointed out, is a big deal for us to get out into the woods, to get out into nature and just be a part of that in the midst of the unknown. For some of us, it's looking at the floor at our home and there's just toys everywhere and it's a mess and it's a disaster. And to be present there because there's this what is it thing that's happening here. There's something that matters and is significant and of huge value here. And to not spend my time and my life and energy trying to escape it, but to be present with whatever it is. The second thing I find within this story is an invitation to care over comparison. There's this thing that's happening in the story that I, I find really, really fascinating. There's an invitation to say, hey, everybody, gather whatever you need for the day. So some gathered little amounts, some gathered large amounts. You remember that part of the story. And I love it because the idea is that everybody just gathered enough. And the idea being that there were those that gathered way more than what they needed. And so they had this leftover pile in their home. And if you remember in the story, what happens is that pile turns to rot the next morning. It's filled with worms and it's gross and it stinks. And you got to spend time and energy cleaning it out. In other words, there's this idea within the story of to be centered and present in the moment and to be a part of partaking in what's in and around you is to be somebody that is understanding what do I need for today? And to be somebody that's driven by not today, but to be driven by this anxiety and this worry of what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, is actually causing more work for you. Because the thing that you're gathering more and more of, because that's what we think we have control again, because look at all the stuff that I have, I'm good no matter what, we actually, we actually end up creating more work. Now I got to clean this thing out and it's rotting. I love this idea because there's different levels in this story, that it's not about the amount that's gathered. It's about the idea of everybody just gathered what was enough for them. In other words, stay focused. What's on the ground around you and gather 
and partake in and be a part of whatever that is for you and that you need for enough. In other words, don't spend your life comparing. Well, Ted over there, you know, he gathered enough for like a family of 12 and it's just him and his dog. And we know his dog's going to eat all of that because it can. And that's not okay. So I'm going to get for a family of 12, even though I don't have a family of 12, because it's not fair that Ted would get for a family of 12, and I would only get for my family of four. This is not okay. And to spend this time in comparison of what, how much are people taking from the ground and the world around us. To be somebody that understands when I live my life in such a way, particularly in this place of unknowing, and I just find myself comparing, well, well they, they seem happy. They seem content. They seem okay. They feel like they've got way more than enough. There's this part of me that begins to live out of that comparison rather than just asking myself the honest question of what do I need today? Pastor and teacher named Andy Stanley has this statement and phrase that I find significant. He says, no one wins in comparison. And I think it's just a, a fascinating thing that here's this story, this idea of to live our lives especially in the wilderness, just comparing. Because we have so much unknown, we start looking at others and going, man, I, I wish I had that, I wish I had that, I wish I had that. No, no, no. What do you need today? What's on the ground in front of you? And understand and care for yourself. Which leads to the third thing, and it's rhythm over reaction. I love the idea within the story that it's wake up every single morning, you do this. At the end of the day, quail, you do this. And then you're going to wake up the next day, there's going to be this on the ground in the morning, and then this in the evening. And there's a rhythm and a pace that's happening with this process. It's in the place of unknown, when we're not quite sure how things are going to go, that we see ourselves slip out of any sort of rhythm and routine for our life, because we want to find control. So we think that we've got to work harder and work more and work faster, and it's in that that we're going to be able to bring some level of control and understanding back to things. But this is not the story and this is not the invitation. It's to wake up every single morning, make sure you're focused on what's on the ground, just be a part of that, don't miss out on that, and then in the evening you're going to want to do that again. How many of us, when things start to get crazy, all scheduling, all routine, all desire for our life just starts to slip out the window? How many of us, we have a desire, just a simple and basic desire, I need to work out, I need to work out. Then we find ourselves in this place, in this land of the unknown, we're, think, we're not quite sure how things are going to go. And so the response is, well, when I get to the promised land, when, when I get things in order and settled, then, then, then I'm going to do that. The problem is, is like the Israelites, for many of us, that time in the wilderness is way longer than we ever anticipated. Well, I, I, can't, I can't do this routine and this rhythm for my life now. So maybe next week, maybe next week, maybe next week. And that was five years ago that we started telling ourselves that. And what the invitation here is, again, care over comparison and find some sort of rhythm for your life, whatever it is. A good drummer, a good musician is able to find a rhythm. And you're able to understand and feel and sense that rhythm and that groove. And a good drummer, good musician is able to then react to what's happening, but never, ever lose that rhythm. So it can... You guys impressed? Yeah, all right, bring it on, Bart. And we have this experience of what music is. Now, some of us, there's this part of us, it's in our humanity that we just resonate with the rhythm. It feels good, it feels right. 
And many of us have no clue what it's like to actually live like this. And I'm the biggest culprit in this room. I'm just going to be honest. Because we live like this. Oh, yeah, it's January. I'm good. It's February. And we find our lives in that state. Now, that's not enjoyable to listen to on any level. And it's way worse to live out. But how many of us, that's all we know, is that kind of rhythm in life. I find it incredibly fascinating to set a rhythm or routine for your life. Next slide. It has been proven and shown that a healthy rhythm helps with sleep, relationships, productivity, saving money, growing our self-discipline, and understanding ourselves better. This is what happens when you and I are able to focus on care over comparison and find some sort of rhythm for our life. So the question is, in the midst of the wilderness, when things are unknown, are you finding a rhythm for your life? Are you able to, yes, ebb and flow as things move, but never, ever lose that rhythm for who you are, to wake up, look at the ground, to spend your evenings like this, to spend your afternoons like this, whatever it is. I'm not telling you you need to have every single minute of every single day mapped out but to be somebody that's living out of a rhythm rather than just reacting to everything that's happening in and around you. And then I find it really fascinating. Next slide. Next slide. That there is this invitation of trust over control. At the end of the day, here is this story that's working to help you and I understand that there's something more happening here. And it's in the wilderness and it's in the desert when we're unsure career, relationships, belief, when we're unsure of being honest and being ourselves, that we find ourselves in a place where we just really, really believe what's happening is the most important, significant thing that could ever, ever happen in the entire world. And so that's why we start to adopt that kind of rhythm. And there's this invitation in this story to say, hey, rather, rather than trying to control everything and feel like what, what's happening is the most important, significant thing ever, there's something bigger here. And to trust and believe that you woke up today and there was, what is it on the ground? There was this thing happening in and around you and you're going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be there tomorrow. There is this loving presence and embrace that is not going anywhere, ever. And to breathe deep and to just know, okay, 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 there's something bigger here. There's a story bigger here than just this moment of unknowing. And whether that's a, a week that I'm in this state of the wilderness or whether that's years that I'm in this state of this wilderness, to be invited to trust over control. And rather than try and grab the reins back to just believe and understand, okay, there's a promised land here. Yes, there's a journey that I'm on. This isn't where I'm going to be forever. But no, ever, no matter how long it takes, here I am. And it will be here tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. And then the way this story ends as we close tonight, I find really fascinating. It says, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omars each. Remember that piece of the story. It says, when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till morning. 
Now, every time they've ever tried to do this before, it's spoiled and it's gone rotten. So they laid it aside till morning on the sixth day as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there are no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But one, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Next slide. It says, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Here's what I find fascinating. The story in this invitation has an outcome. And the outcome and the desire of all of this is a result of rest. There's many theologians and scholars that look at what's happening in the desert in this 40 years, and they say, okay, Israel, all they knew was how to be a slave. That's all they knew. And so there's this 40-year process and journey that is not just God punishing them. It's not just them you know, not being able to find where to go, but it's this journey and this process of God continuing to show and point towards, hey, there's a better way to live your life. There's a better way to go about things than for you to be a slave and for you to find yourself in a place of health. And part of that, and a big piece of that, is this idea of rest. I really, really believe that the work of healthy spirituality, the work of a healthy approach to this stuff, is to be a result in rest. And some of us have never experienced that when it comes to spirituality. All we know is burnout and exhaustion. All we know is frustration and guilt and shame. And for that... I'm sorry, because I don't believe at the core of any of this stuff, at the core of any of these stories, is an invitation to say, hey, find your life in this place. But that the result of all of this is to find your life in a place where you can rest. And to be somebody that understands, okay, there's a rhythm, there's a trust, there's a care, there's a presence that I'm bringing to my life. And it's in that work that I would be able to find multiple times, at least once a week would be our hope, where I can breathe deep and just rest. And many of us know what it's like, I'll just speak professionally, to say, well, I, you know, it's my day off, it's a day of rest, but I got to get some stuff done. And so we go in and we try to work and make some things happen, and I do it all the time. And I, I have this experience that's similar to the Israelites with the manna. You go out to try and gather and collect and make something. And at the end of it, you feel like, wow, was that, did I, did I get anything? Was there anything there? Because I'm just expanding a lot of energy to not see much come back at me. I think the same is true when it comes to the way you and I are to approach our life, particularly in the wilderness, that you would be able to rest and it'd be a result of choosing these things over the other. Tonight, our work is to do the same thing that people have been doing for thousands of years. And that is to take, you can put those back up, Kate, to take these four things, and I believe um, to be found in this table and in this meal. That there's an invitation to presence. Are you present here in this moment with what's happening? The ground around you. There's something about food that invites a presence because it's on our lips, on our tongue, to be present here in this moment with whatever's happening. There's an invitation to care. 
An invitation to understand that, yes, there are things that are happening and care because you are not alone in that. And some of you may feel alone in what's happening that you would look around this room and know you're not alone wherever you are, whatever's going on, and that you would care for yourself. There's an invitation of rhythm. This is something we come back to every single week. And there's an invitation of trust. There's something bigger here. This is just bread and juice, but it points towards something bigger, a story and a narrative that is thousands of years old that we're working to just continue to find what is good, true, and beautiful for us and those around. We're going to play a song and invite anyone and everyone to come forward, take a piece of bread, and dip it in the cup. To take a few moments and to ask, where are you at in the wilderness, and how are you responding to the unknown around you? And we'll close our time together. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while there, you can find out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged into or give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.